Jesus' name. Amen. I want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Lauren was kind enough to give us another one more Christmas hymn. And I'm going to speak about Christmas for the last time this year. I was thinking about the results of this Christmas. Um, Christmas Eve service, we had a wonderful service here. And we talked about preparations for coming up to Christmas. And now I want to talk about the results of Christmas. What do you think the results of this Christmas have been? Well, from the reports we get, it seems that the economy will get a little shot in the arm because there was a little bit more spending. That's, that's positive, I guess. Uh, Maybe the visit with your families was positive, but sometimes that's not necessarily so, um, with all families and stuff going on there. Uh, probably health-wise, we didn't do ourselves any favor with all the excessive eating that you did yesterday. <laughs> and so as you look at uh, Christmas, you say, well... There are some good results. I hope so. I hope that you are going to have some uh, extra time off, maybe renewing yourself, getting ready for another year of work as we look forward to the year 2011. Well, in that same thought, I was thinking about, okay, well, Joseph and Mary, what did they come away with? What were the results of their first Christmas? I want to look at that this morning. Now, they came away with... Uh, with the baby Jesus. Uh, so, but hopefully we came away with that too in our lives. Amen? We came away with Jesus in our lives. But I'll look from that vantage point. Now, of course, we can't follow their experiences exactly. But there are some applications from what they experienced that would speak to us here as we... Um, say goodbye and farewell to 2010, uh, looking forward to the year, new year that we have before us. So there's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along with me. First, let's look at verse uh, chapter 2 of Matthew 13 and then verses 19 through 23. Verse 13, chapter 2 of Matthew. Now when they had gone, that is the Magi, had left, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to destroy the child to try and destroy the him. Verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child, his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. And he came and lived in a city called Nazareth, which was fulfilled... What was spoken through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. First thing is we see as a result of 
the experience they had that first Christmas, Mary and Joseph allowed for the supernatural in their lives. They allowed for the supernatural in their lives. Now, after the wise men left, it became evident that Herod was not in a necessarily a positive frame of mind towards this king of the Jews that was told of him. And he had planned to send some troops into the area and to have all the male children, two years and under, killed. And so supernaturally, the angel comes and gives Joseph a dream and says, take the child. They flee to Egypt. And then while they're in Egypt, after Herod dies, the angel comes again and says, it's okay to go back. And then they were thinking of settling back in Bethlehem area. But another dream. No, don't go there. Head up north towards Nazareth. There was a supernatural element in their lives following the birth of Jesus. Now you're saying, where are you going with this, Pastor Neil? Now I'm not advocating that you be led by your dreams. I don't know about you, but I have some pretty different types of dreams. Uh, Sometimes uh, I find a dream, one of the dreams that I have recurring is that I'm trying to get away from something, but I can't run. It's just like I'm stuck in molasses. Have you ever had that dream? Or this is one that I have, and I don't know what explains it, but I I find myself in public and I look down and I don't have any pants on. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what that means, but that's another story. So I'm not advocating uh, being led by your dreams, because sometimes we have some dreams that are caused by different things. Nor am I advocating... uh, a wholesale march into hyper uh, Pentecostalism. But notice, Joseph and Mary had accepted the ministry of caring for Jesus. You remember what we talked about Friday night? The message was given to Joseph and he took her, Mary, as his wife. The message was given to Mary and she said, be it done unto me as you will, Lord. So they accepted it. And they were charged with taking care of the baby Jesus. Nurturing him. Protecting him. So that he might grow up to be the man that God would want him to be. So that he might be what? The Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Where does a supernatural element come in? Well, there was an element in between that which they could do and that which needed to be done. And the gap is what? The supernatural work of God. We need to, and they made room in their lives for that supernatural work. Now, you see, we don't worship this book. We study it. We believe it's the Word of God. But this book is a result, listen carefully, is a result of people interacting with a supernatural God who is still alive today. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, we know that God in different times and different what we call dispensations works differently. He worked differently 
with Abraham than he did Moses. And that which he did with the Hebrew people, he's working differently now. But he is the same God. He is the same supernatural God. The God of the Bible. Now, we look to the Bible for direction, for instruction, but we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God behind the Bible. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says uh, that he is a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. Now, you're saying, well, how does this apply to me, Pastor Neil? How does this apply? How do I make room for the supernatural in my life this year? Mm -hmm. Let me give you an indication. Mary and Joseph committed themselves to do a certain thing in the ministry of God, but there was a gap between what they could do and what needed to be done, and that is the supernatural work of God in their lives. And sometimes we have to make that kind of commitment. It might be something as large, it might be something as large as taking off and going to LAX next Saturday afternoon and flying off to Thailand. That's what they've committed to do. But you know what? They don't have the stuff, that everything that needs to be done. What's the gap? It's a supernatural work of God. It is a supernatural work of God. It's allowing God to come and take us to do what needs to be done that we can't do ourselves. That's what Mary and Joseph did. That's what we need to do. Or it might mean and I'm not trying to call attention to our dear friends, it might mean traveling to Russia and taking your family and pioneering churches in Russia. Um, There's certainly a gap between what Ray and Rebecca can do and what needs to be done. And that gap is the work of God, the supernatural work of God. Just like Ray said. Now, for you it might be, for you it might be just getting started. Well, I think this year, I think this year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach the second grade class here at Sunday school. I'm going to try that. Now, it's a step of faith, and I've never done it before, and I'm kind of scared, but that's what I've committed to do. And then there's the gap between what you can do and what needs to be done for those little kids. And that is the supernatural work of God. Or it might be you say, well, I, I'm going to try, uh, I'm going to be try involved in more in the men's ministry. I'm going to try to come to Rob's um, Bible study on, on Wednesday morning or Pastor Neil's at the men's dinner or maybe uh, get involved in a, in a small group Bible study on Wednesday night or, or something along that lines. And I've, I've never done it before and I'm, I don't know how that's going to work out. That's what you committed to do. And this is what God wants to do. And in between that, the work of God takes place. Joseph and Mary allowed the supernatural work of God in their lives. They made a commitment. And God bridged the gap between what they wanted to do, what they committed to do, and what needed to be done. Joseph and Mary allowed for the supernatural in their lives. And I tell you, that's what we should do this year as we come away from this Christmas. Look with me in 
Luke now. Let's turn over to Luke. Luke chapter 2. It's the next place they want to go. Verses 21 and 22. Now this is before the Magi came. And before they uh, left for Egypt, it says, and when, verse 21 of chapter 2 of Luke, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, so he's just, Jesus was just eight days old, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. What we see here is Joseph and Mary obeyed the Lord. Now we talked about this on Christmas Eve, but I want to I point just something more about this. He was named Jesus as the angel had instructed them. They told him to name him Jesus, and that's what they did. And then when he was eight days old, he was what? He was circumcised according to the word of the Lord, just as the Lord had told Moses and had instructed Abraham that he was circumcised when he was eight years, eight days old. And then he was brought up to the temple to be presented to the Lord as the word of the Lord had instructed them to do. We should do the same as we come away from this Christmas. Now our tendency... Our tendency when we are come up against the word and it kind of pushes us and it kind of confronts us with something that we should do or something that we shouldn't do, we often make excuses. We always have an excuse of why we can't do what either the Lord has impressed on our hearts or why or what he says in his word. And we struggle with that and we always can find some reason why we can't do it. Joseph and Mary obeyed the Lord. Now this past week, I had my spiritual birthday and my physical birthday. And I've been a Christian from December 18th for 39 years. 39 years I've been a Christian. Uh, For some of you, that's uh, you weren't even born. Well, there's a few of you. You weren't even born 39 years ago. And I have developed a sensitive conscience in those 39 years. And when I do what I know I shouldn't do, I I can't, I can't just, I have to go out and make it right. I have to make it right. When the Lord impresses on me, Neil, I don't want you to do that, or Neil, you should be doing it, I'm not doing it, I need to make it right. Now, you, in some areas, you might have the freedom. You say, well, Pastor, you know, that doesn't bother me. I have the faith to do that. Where I don't have that, and I have a sensitive conscience to do certain things that I need to do and not to do certain things that I, I shouldn't do, and when I do what I, I, I haven't done, I need to go make it right. I have that kind of conscience over the 39 years, and I'm not bragging in any sense of the way. And I can't press on until I make it right. I get it right. Now let me give you an example. The Lord has impressed upon my heart that I should start my day 
reading his word. He's impressed that on my heart. That's what I should do. I should get up early before there's any noise and racket in the house. Sit down in a quiet part of the house with a cup of coffee and a little bite to eat and read his word and then spend some time praying. I have a little journal. I write some things down about what was impressed on me from the scriptures. And if I try to start my day without that, I just, it just doesn't, I've learned that that's the, what, what the Lord has pressed upon my heart to do. Now, that is not a lucky rabbit's foot kind of thing that I have to do so the day will go well. Many times, that's no guarantee of everything going fine in the day. <laughs> that's for sure. But I know that I'm right with God because I'm doing what the Lord has told me to do. And there's a sense of, there, I'm ready to go. Whatever you have for me, God, today, I'm ready for it. Now, it doesn't make the day perfect. I've heard testimonies. Well, if you just pray and read the Bible, everything goes wonderful. I pray and read the Bible, and sometimes everything goes terrible. Not, it doesn't fix the day, but it fixes my heart. Because I'm doing what God told me to do. Just like Mary and Joseph, and that's true for you. Joseph and Mary obeyed the Lord. Look down the next two verses, verses 22 through 24. We read verse 22, but let me catch you up here. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What we see here is Joseph and Mary gave as it was required. They gave as was required. Now in the same trip, that when they went up to Jerusalem, they gave five shekels of silver. They made an offering of five shekels of silver. It doesn't say it here, but that's what they were doing. Now, the five shekels of silver are connected with what it says in verse 23. Every firstborn male that opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Every firstborn male was to serve the Lord fully in the temple. However, if you weren't of Levi, if you weren't of the tribe of Levi, you would give five shekels of silver to fulfill that requirement. And that's what they did. They went up and gave five shekels of silver because Jesus was the first male born of Mary. They did, they gave as was required. And then notice, they offered a sacrifice according to what was said by the law. They could either offer a one-year lamb or two turtle doves or two pigeons. And being that Joseph was a working man and uh, probably a carpenter, Uh, they were able to just offer the two young pigeons. Joseph and Mary gave as was required. Now, the subject is whenever you talk about giving, it always gets a little touchy. It's always a little touchy. The reason it's touchy is because some pastors abuse that uh, privilege. Um, Always asking for offerings. Always begging for money. Always asking for more money. And sometimes they misuse the money that they're given. 
that's entrusted to them for the Lord's work. And then oftentimes it's touchy because there's people in the congregation that don't fully support the work of the ministry at the church. Now, as I said last Sunday, I'm proud to be the pastor of this church because you are a giving group of people. You are a giving group of people. You're a very generous group of people. And I'm proud to be the pastor of this church. But let me give my view from the scriptures on giving, being that we're talking about giving. Mary and Joseph gave as required. I believe based on, I believe based on Malachi chapter 3, that if we bring the tithes and offerings into the storehouse, into the church, that God will open a window of blessing and pour it out upon us. That's what I believe. That's what I, that's what I believe. That's what I teach. He'll pour a blessing out upon you. Now, here we are in this wonderful, warm building. How did we get here? How did we do this? How did, how, did you, how did you do this, Pastor Neil? How did you move from the high school all the way? How did you work this out? I didn't. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. You know what it was? It was you guys. It was us. We're a giving church. We give to many, many missionaries. We support many ministries. We give to many ministries. We give. We're a giving church. And consequently, what has happened? God opens a window of blessing and pours it out upon us. And that which you're enjoying today, this wonderful warm church, this, this beautiful building, all the wonderful people that are here, and the goodness that resides in Calvary Chapel, Mission Vale, is a result of God, what? Opening a window of heaven and pouring out a blessing. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Now, Let me ask you a question. With all the crazy people that we have in Sacramento and Washington and all that they're doing, why wouldn't you want to have a confidence in God in the financial area of your life? Why wouldn't you want to have God kind of on your side? There's a scripture that we all quote all the times. Hebrew 13.5. Remember what Hebrews 13.5 says? He'll never leave me He'll never leave you or forsake you. Isn't that a wonderful scripture? Don't you, haven't you said that? Well, the Bible says that God will never leave me or forsake me. Isn't that a wonderful scripture? You know what he's talking about? You, if you turn over to Matt, uh, Hebrews 13.5, you'll see that he's talking about finances. He's talking about moolah. He's talking about money. <laughs> that's, what he's talking, that's the context. And he says, in that context, in that context, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It's a promise of God. Why wouldn't we want to put our confidence in that? Why wouldn't we want to put the confidence? Joseph and Mary gave as required, and they were blessed. Now, there's one other question I want to answer. People ask me, well, Pastor Neil, what's the difference between tithes and offerings? Okay? Some have asked me that, so I'm going to tell you. You might not like it, but this is what I believe is from the Bible. So let's just say it once. A tithe is 10% of your gross income that goes to the church. An offering is everything that's above that. That means you give to missionaries, offerings, you give to 501c3s, you give to all the, profit, you know, all the non-profits that you want to. That's the difference between tithes and offerings. There it is. I said it. And you can fight with me at coffee afterwards. 
Joseph and Mary gave as was required. Look at verses 25. Luke 2, 25. Fourth thing that we learned from their first Christmas. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see the death, not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes you have seen, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mothers were amazed, his mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving day and night with fastings and prayers. But that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph were encouraged by the Lord's spokesman. Mary and Joseph were encouraged by the Lord's spokesman. While in the temple, Simeon and Anna spoke words of encouragement, wisdom, and insight concerning what they were going through. Now you have to understand, Joseph and Mary were probably pre-twenties. They were in their they were they were teenagers, maybe seventeen, eighteen years old. This couple had gone through incredible stuff. Began nine months before with the angel, all that was going on everything that was taking place. And now, uh, they come to the temple with baby Jesus and two of God's spokesmen come up to them and begin to give them words of encouragement, words of exhortation and instruction concerning that which they are going through and that which they will go through. Joseph and Mary were encouraged by the Lord's spokesman. Now, The church is the place that you want to hear those kind of words. The church is the place. Primarily from the teaching of the pulpit. Primarily from the teaching of the pulpit. Now some people ask me, well, Pastor Neil, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Why don't you teach topical messages? Things that we're interested in. and Maybe subjects that would be interesting and exciting. 
Why do you just take a book like Luke, like we are, and just chapter by chapter, section by section, and just kind of march through? And what, like we were doing earlier this year, Jeremiah chapters 1 through 18. Why did you do that? The reason I do that is you need to hear from God and you don't need to hear from Neil. As interesting or exciting it might be here, the most important thing is that you hear from God. And what, I, what I'll do tomorrow morning, I'll be in here and I'll open up to Luke chapter 13 and I'll say, to, as I read that passage, I'll say, what does this passage say and how does it apply to me and the congregation? That is what I do because you need to hear words of encouragement, exhortation and insight from the Bible. Now, all my silly, colorful weirdness and stories kind of color that, but essentially what I try to do is give you what God wants to say to you every Sunday morning. You need to hear from God. And I pray that I wouldn't get in the way. That's what I do. That's what this pulpit is about. I remember uh, one person, they said that they had a sign on the pulpit where the pastor, when he put his Bible, could see. Now here we have a sign that says the first service ends at 10 a.m. and the second service ends at 11.45. That's what we have here. But this particular church, it said, there was a sign that says, Gentlemen, we would see Jesus. You need to see God. Okay, so Joseph and Mary were encouraged by the Lord's spokesman. Now, also, as a word of exhortation towards us, we are God's spokesman. We ourselves, not only Pastor Neil, but you are are God's spokesman. What we say to one another and what we do for one another while we're in this building, we become oftentimes able to give words of encouragement, instruction, application to those who come, especially to those who come for the first or second time. Now, the one time in the whole Bible when Jesus really kind of uh, really got angry, do you remember that one time? It was righteous anger. He didn't sin, but you remember what it was? when the folks were buying and selling offerings and sheep and goat and money changers were in the temple. Why did Jesus get so angry about that? I mean, they needed to change their money. They needed to buy sacrifices. Why was he so angry? Because they had brought what? The marketplace into the temple of God. And what did he do? He got a whip and chased everybody out. He said, get out of here. Don't do that. Now, In the same way, we need to be careful that this is not the cul-de-sac, this is not the break room, this is not the classroom, this is not the living room. The words that we speak to one another and the actions that we give to one another are to be words from God to encourage and uplift one another. Just imagine, my dear friends, what Jesus thinks as he watches one of his little saints as he leaves whatever church they attended 
and determined in their mind never to go back to that church again because of what was said to them. What does Jesus feel about that? I don't think he's very happy. Now, there's always an offense. And what is the offense? The offense is, uh, we had talked about this two weeks ago, the offense of the cross. Let that be the only offense that's ever given to a person and not anything that would come out of our words or our actions because this is the house of God and people come to the house of God for what? A word of encouragement, uplifting and blessing. Joseph and Mary received that from Simeon and Anna. Okay, verse 41. After they got back from Egypt, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. One verse, from that I get, Joseph and Mary were consistent worshipers. Joseph and Mary were consistent worshipers. Now there's no mention of their attendance at the synagogue in Nazareth. We don't know that. But we know every year at Passover... They made the trip all the way from Nazareth all the way to Jerusalem. This shows, I believe, that they were not casual, observant Jews. They were not casual, observant Jews. But they, that, they were constant worships. They were consistent worshipers. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, here goes Neil. He's going off on the importance of church attendance. And you have to understand that I'm really not being self-serving. I, I really am not being self-serving. It's really not my purpose. I've been your pastor here for 23 years now. The fact that you don't come to church doesn't devastate me anymore. I'm, I've, I've worked past that. It, it, it's, it's not an issue. It's really not an issue. But I want to tell you something about the importance of being a consistent worshiper of God. Coming to the household of God. How important that is. And I want to give you seven reasons. You might want to write these down. Seven reasons why it's important to be a consistent worshiper. First of all, when you're not a consistent worshiper, it sets up a tension in your life. There's a tension there. And what's the tension caused by? You know you need to go to church. You know that. You're supposed to worship God. You understand that. that Nobody has to explain that to you. If you read the Bible, you understand that very clearly. And when you don't do what you know you should be doing, what happens? There's a tension and there's, there's, it's kind of things aren't right. And you know it. And that's not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be as a believer. Second reason, you need to hear the truth. You need to hear the truth of the Bible. Why is that? Because all week long you're hearing a lot of garbage. (laughs) You're hearing a lot of non-truths from the media, from the newspaper, from your unsaved Christian friends, from the neighbors, all people trying to, they're feeding you uh, half-truths or absolute lies. And you need to come to church to hear the truth about yourself and the truth about the world that we live in. And if the pastor teaches from the Bible, that's what you hear. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You need that. You need that weekly. And for some of us, 
most of us, bi-weekly, twice a week. We need to hear the truth. Third reason. Your own carnality. Your own carnality. Zig Ziglar says sometimes we've got what? Stinking thinking. I love that phrase. Our, our thinking is stinking. And our own carnality has kind of, is lying to us and we need to kind of take our brain and wash it in the Word of God and get it all cleaned up <laughs> so that we're, we're ready for a new week. We got stinking thinking. It's not only the world, but it's us. We need to hear the truth. We need to wash our brain in the Word of God. Now, I've said this several times. Many times I come to church and I've got stinking thinking. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, you know, after church, I'm going to tell somebody off. I'm going to really give them a piece of my mind. And then as I'm worshiping God in this wonderful worship and talking about the Word of God, I realize, oh, that's, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> what happened? The Word of God and the worship of God cleanses your mind from the stinking thinking. And rather than making a fool out of yourself, you shut your mouth and you be patient and loving, and God blesses. Your own carnal thinking is the reason you come to it. Number four, fellowship keeps us strong. You need other brothers. And you need accountability groups and midweek fellowships and, and, and worshiping God on Sunday morning because it makes you strong. You, sometimes you're out there by yourself and you're thinking, oh, everybody's crazy. There's, there's nobody, nobody's sane in this world. And then you come to church and you find out that, well, there's a whole room full of people that are sane and they're thinking just like me. And it strengthens you and helps you to be strong in the Lord. Fifth reason, the Lord is here. The Lord is here. What does it say in the Bible? Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am what? In the midst. Now, when you're out there by yourself, is the Lord with you? Of course he is. But uh, now I maintain this, and I, I can't explain it, but he's here even more so when we gather. He's here in a special way when we gather. There's extra of the Lord here. Number six. It's good to have friends when trouble comes. <laughs> It's good to be involved in a loving church that people who know and love you when trouble comes. Because there's nothing worse than to have trouble and have no friends. Have nobody there for you. It's good to have friends when trouble comes. And number seven. People do better. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, as I've been your pastor, I watch people. You know, I watch people. And people who are consistent worshipers, just that's, that's what they're at. You know what I notice over long term? They're blessed. Then I watch people who disappear for a couple of months or disappear. They're you know, here and there. You know, and, you know, I'm not questioning their salvation. That's not the question. I don't. Who am I to question their salvation? But I watch them. You know, I've been here 23 years. I'm a people watcher. I watch you. And I see people, I see people who are not consistent worshipers. You know what happens? They don't do well. They don't do well spiritually. There's things happen that shouldn't have happened. Things go, go on that shouldn't have gone on. 
consistent worshipers, consistent worship, people who worship God, study God's word and come to the house of God consistently do better over the long run. It's just a simple fact. A simple fact. Okay. Well, we're coming to the end of the hour here. So we see some things here. As Joseph and Mary left their first Christmas, that were part of their lives. And as we leave this Christmas of 2010 and look at the year 2011, here's some, here's some things that we might want to put in place. Now, I was thinking about December the 25th. Why December the 25th? Why did December the 25th be slated as the day Jesus was born? Well, they, many people feel that that wasn't the real date. It was some other date, maybe early spring, whatever. You know, there's a lot of controversy about that. But Some feel the reason they chose December the 25th was because of the pagan holiday on winter solstice, December the 21st. You know, that's the, that's the, the shortest day of the year. And, uh, and this year we had, if you go on the internet, and you, to that, you find out there was... Ooh, there was a lot of special things. Because you not only had, you know, had a full eclipse of the moon, and the earth, the sun, and the moon were all perfectly lined up on the winter solstice. Man, this was, there were special vibes going on. A lot of New Age people were, this is a very special day. So many people feel that December the 25th got nominated as the day of Jesus' birthday simply because it gave the Christians something to kind of celebrate while the crazies were doing their stuff. (laughs) That's a possibility. That's a possibility. Now, here's my idea. I think December the 25th, whether it was that day or not, and we can argue about that, is I I think it was chosen to be nominated the day of Jesus' birthday because December, this week of December, is the shortest day of the year. It's oftentimes in, in Western Europe and that area. It was the coldest, dreariest, and they needed something to, a life. Let's do something that's, you know, exciting, that talks about life. And so they said, hey, this is a good week to celebrate Jesus' birthday. That's what I think. That and 75 cents will get a ride on the bus. Now, in our culture, what do we have to look forward to after Christmas is over? After Christmas and New Year's, after the holidays are over, what do we have? Well, we have NFL playoffs in the Super Bowl, right? Oh, no. I've got a better idea. I've got a better idea. Follow Joseph and Mary's example. And the presence and the peace of Jesus, of Jesus will brighten these dreary winter days. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the birth of Jesus, the effect that it can have on our lives. And we ask that the example of Joseph and Mary as they took the baby Jesus and launched out into a a brand new life. Some of the things that they experience would be true for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.